From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The Liberals have now formally decided to oppose The Voice, and Peter Dutton has declared he will campaign against it. It's a high-risk strategy when the polls are showing a majority of Australians at present support the referendum. South Australian Senator Simon Birmingham is the opposition leader in the Senate and one of the parliamentary party's few remaining moderates after the Teals defeated a number of them at the election. He joins us today to talk about The Voice, the Aston by-election defeat and where to now for the Liberal Party. Simon Birmingham, the Liberals used to be always quoting Noel Pearson. Now, Noel Pearson has accused the party of, and I quote, Judas' betrayal of our country. What's your response to this? Noel is known for his very strong and strident views, and uh, and, uh, they've been of benefit and of detriment to all sides of politics at different times. But I think if we look at the substance of recognition and voice, there are vexing issues there. They are vexing in terms of the detail and what that means for the application of our constitution and the role of government. They're also vexing in uh, in regards to how you apply them against uh, certain philosophical traits as to whether embedding um, a different uh, platform for one part of the community in terms of engagement is, uh, is a liberal or an illiberal concept. So I think there are um, serious questions there around this and Sadly, as I look at it, I think the, that achieving national consensus on this topic has only gotten harder and harder over the many years since constitutional recognition was first discussed actively in the Howard government. And in many ways, I wish it had been acted upon uh, back then in the Rudd, Gillard or Abbott years uh, before the debate had become more complicated with uh, the additional proposition of voice being added to it. Even conceding the point that there are problems with the detail, are the Liberals not in danger of being on the wrong side of Australians' thinking on this referendum? Australians will make their own mind up, and that is uh, at least the beauty of a referendum. We'll get a clear and decisive result one way or the other as to to where Australians stand. And Uh, We will all have to live as political parties with the positions that have been taken into that and then if there are consequences of it, assess them afterwards. Couldn't this be really dangerous for Peter Dutton's leadership if the referendum was won and the Liberals had campaigned against? Uh, I don't think anybody should uh, presume conclusions about leadership and in some ways the decisions to jump to questions of leadership, such as some commentators did after the Aston by-election, I think uh, uh, often looking at the wrong proposition. Uh, uh, Many looked at last year's federal election and thought, well, it was a referendum on Scott Morrison. And sure, in part it was, but there are also a range of other lessons that uh, the Liberal Party needs to and needed to learn out of last year's federal election and out of the Aston by-election and to put any of these things just down to questions of leadership is to fail to take the broader lessons that uh, that the electorate is sometimes giving. Well, that's true, but I think we both know and have seen over many years how leaders' positions can get eroded if they suffer a, a series of defeats and setbacks. 
well, of course, leaders' standing with the public, uh, with their colleagues and their parties is, is impacted by all manner of different factors. Uh, I don't presume to try to prejudge that ahead of a referendum outcome on which I don't know what the result will be of that referendum. Um, what I am certain of is that in the elections that have been concluded over the last couple of years, uh, I think there are lessons for the Liberal Party as to how we modernise, uh, how we ensure that we apply and stay true to Liberal values, but we apply them uh, in a construct relevant to this century uh, and to the demographics of the Australian electorate that we now confront. Now, we'll come back to details of uh, what your thinking is on those things, but just coming back to the voice, what sort of feedback are you getting about the voice from people as you move around? Decidedly mixed uh, is the honest answer there. There are people for good, well-intentioned reasons that uh, that I understand and, uh, and in large part share their intentions would like to see it succeed. Uh, there are people who hold grave concerns about what the constitutional, legal and governmental implications of it will be. Uh, and there are many Australians who are just uncertain as to what it all means, what it all is and whether uh, whether it is uh, worth the debate, the cost uh, or, uh, or the focus given the other pressures they're facing. So I think there's a, a genuinely wide spectrum of views which I've heard. Hand on heart, if a pollster rang you up today and said uh, you in favour or against the voice, what would be your own feeling or is that a question you'd prefer not to answer? <laughs> um, well, I, I don't tend to take pollsters' calls, um, so, uh, so I think I'll skip the hypothetical there. But as we work through the next couple of months and the time leading up to the referendum, look, I, I hope that if there is something that can still be salvaged for national unity uh, out of having a clear bipartisan constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians, that that is achieved. Uh, I hope if uh, clear evidence comes forward during the parliamentary committee process uh, to narrow the scope of the constitutional change that the government has put forward, that they listen to that evidence and try to convince a reconsideration around some of those factors. I uh, do think that uh, that you know, there is still a journey to go on this, and I'll be looking at it closely, carefully through that uh, through that journey. It may be that I have forlorn hopes uh, in terms of those outcomes, but uh, but I would still like to think that uh, that there is uh, room through that parliamentary committee process, uh, through perhaps stepping back to the principle around constitutional recognition for us to find some unifying and bipartisan way forward. Now, your spokesman on Indigenous Australians, Julian Lisa, the other day indicated he'd like to see shadow ministers free to campaign for either side in the referendum, as happened in the Republic referendum. But in fact, they're now to be bound to the no side. Won't that put some of them at least in an awkward position? Well, we... Uh... We, we all do, um, uh, as part of serving on the front bench, uh, have to accept the responsibilities that come with uh, the unity expected of front benches. Um, that's part of our system, uh, just as we do have the inherent difference between the Liberal and Labor parties that we enable um, ultimately free votes on everything in the Liberal Party for those who serve on the back bench, uh, whilst the Labor Party, of course, binds its members 
on everything, regardless of the positions they serve in. So, um, yes, a decision was taken yesterday. It's a decision that has consequences for uh, front benches in terms of the way in which uh, we might conduct ourselves. But there's also a journey to go, as I said before, uh, around what is ultimately um, finalised out of the parliamentary committee process, what is put forward, whether there is any scope uh, to consider uh, having uh, a genuine bipartisan effort still at constitutional recognition. Um, and regardless of all of that, it will be Australians who make their final say and decision on this. And I'll get just one vote equal to every other Australian on that process. Now, the Liberals say they support recognition of Indigenous people in the Constitution. But in practical terms, won't a defeat for this referendum put back recognition for a generation, as happened with the Republic? Again, it's very hard to predict the future, but I would expect if there is a defeat at this referendum, it, uh, it will certainly take a little while for the dust to settle and for people to contemplate uh, a pathway forward. But I hope that uh, in the interests of... A little while? Well, I, I wouldn't want to specify or predict how long. I was about to say, I hope in the interests of, uh, of progress and bringing the country together uh, that uh, discussions could happen a lot faster than we've seen in relation to um, the Republic, um, and particularly practical discussions about whether, if not in the Constitution, there is still merit in pursuing the types of models of voice that have been discussed. Uh, it's important to remember that there is nothing about the voice proposition that requires a change to the Constitution. This is unusual in the sense that it really is uh, the first time in many ways Australians are being asked to vote on a constitutional amendment for a proposal that does not need to be in our Constitution. Now, I understand why there's been the linkage of it to recognition and why, therefore, there is a pursuit of it to go uh, into the Constitution. But there is also a very valid alternative argument, which is to say that we should prove up the model through a legislative model first and foremost, demonstrate that it's going to work, be effective, and then build the confidence of the Australian public to give it um, a strong endorsement if it is to go in the Constitution at a later stage. We mentioned the Republic referendum, so just let me ask you one question about the Republic. If Labor gets a, a second term and if the voice referendum is passed, I think we're sure to see a referendum on the Republic. Do you think that the Liberal Party would oppose a Republic and what would be your own view? My view is that... Uh there would need to, well, my view is that the question in terms of the Liberal Party's position on that uh, was largely settled by John Howard and the team at the time when a free vote for all was provided uh, and where John Howard campaigned against a republic and Peter Costello campaigned for a republic. And notably, despite those differences of opinion that spread right across uh, the Liberal Party at the time, they then subsequently went on to win several more elections together. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's a demonstration that we can accommodate differences on those issues and still focus on the issues that matter to Australians in their day-to-day -day lives around economic management uh, and, uh, and giving them the opportunities they need and that uh, that can be an election-winning formula. So I would hope and trust that that continued. Uh, I was a supporter of the last Republic referendum, uh, 
that said, uh, I do carry some reservations about direct election models. So I would um, start with an open mind, um, a predisposition to support, uh, but an open mind about the details going into any future uh, referendum. Let's turn to Aston. You wrote in the wake of the defeat that the Liberal Party must recommit to and refresh its values. But what does this mean in practice? We do face um, a vastly different electorate today uh, to the one of some decades ago, uh, and even not that long ago, if you look at some of the rate of change. The fastest growing fastest growing segment of the workforce are professional women. Uh, Urbanisation has only continued to occur at a higher rate, particularly driven by waves of migration with significant numbers of Chinese Australians, Indian Australians and other cohorts growing in number. Uh, Now, those changes don't mean that liberal values are any less relevant today than they've been in the past. Liberalism and conservatism are uh, timeless principles and ideologies. Uh, But we do have to make sure that they are framed in a way that is um, relevant and engaging to electorates uh, and to the modern electorate uh, that we need to appeal to. And uh, and I think that means looking at how we can engage younger families and younger voters with um, effective policies about their economic security uh, and especially in relation to the pursuit of home ownership. Uh, But it means ensuring that in all of those cases about their job security, their home ownership aspirations, the other aspirations they have that need to be underpinned by a strong economy, we also need to make sure that all feel included uh, in those discussions, regardless of the background they come from, the migrant background, or the construct or nature of their family. Well, does this mean that you think that uh, some Liberals at the last election and more recently uh, the case in Victoria of Maura Deeming have have got caught up on the wrong side of uh, debates about trans and, and other issues of that sort? It doesn't help to win votes over during a by-election campaign or an election campaign more generally uh, if headlines are being grabbed with distracting arguments and exclusionary arguments that bring in um, transgender questions or arguments um, that bring in uh, association with with Nazi sympathisers or any of those sorts of things are clearly very destructive and distracting to an election campaign, um, and some of them are completely and utterly unacceptable. There is clearly debate being had in international sporting bodies and the like as to how to have um, effective regulation to ensure the integrity of women's sport, uh, to manage these issues sensibly. But I don't get any sense when I'm engaging uh, with people in the community. And I have two daughters and spend a lot of time at girls' sports on weekends and so forth. Uh, I don't get a sense that there is a need for the type of public rallies and arguments that uh, that we see uh, where there are issues of policy to be considered here They should be considered soberly. They should be considered respectfully and mindful of the fact that for families facing challenging issues of gender identity in their children, these are huge, difficult, personal, complex challenges that they face and we should ensure that they are treated with respect, with understanding, with consideration and that that the types of engagement that anybody has are driven ultimately by information from Uh, medical practitioners on such issues. So to go back to your question, 
uh, Michelle, these issues are very much small issues in the political debate. The big issues that appeal to Australians are still the questions as to whether they have sufficient job security, what the opportunities for them and their children will be, whether they can get into the housing market uh, and own their own home, uh, how they get ahead in life in other ways, how we are tackling climate change. Uh, and those issues are the ones that we ought to make sure we have presented compelling cases along with, of course, delivery of essential services and other critical components for the Australian electorate. But the Liberal Party does seem to let through, as, as candidates and even as MPs, quite a number of people who are well outside mainstream values and opinions. And we need to make sure that the type of vetting processes and consideration we bring uh, to our candidate selection gives us candidates who can engage uh, with the electorate uh, in ways that keep the debates on the big vote drivers of the day, keep the debates on the issues that most Australians worry about, do so consistent with liberal values and conservative values, uh, but also reflect uh, modern Australia. The great shame of the result in Aston is that we had selected a candidate, a brilliant candidate in, uh, in a young professional businesswoman of Indian heritage uh, who would have been a fantastic asset to our team and we need to make sure that our candidate selection in the future has many more Rashina Campbell types at a local level in winnable seats across the country so that not only do our policies uh, reflect modern Australia and appeal to modern Australia, uh, but our image needs to as well. Now, just on one of the policies you mentioned, climate change, there's a big push, as you know, within the coalition at the moment, especially but not only from the nationals to embrace nuclear energy, nuclear power. How do you think you'd go in South Australia selling that proposition at the next election? I was uh, surprised, to be honest, when the AUKUS announcement was first made by the Morrison government. Uh, and, of course, with the recent announcements by the Albanese government at just how accepting and supportive the electorate has been of uh, the use of nuclear technologies in the propulsion of our submarine fleet. Uh, and from a South Australian perspective, the reality that you know, that will mean work uh, on the installation of uh, the nuclear reactor component of submarines taking place at Osborne in suburban Adelaide moving forward. So I think there is a degree of maturity and understanding uh, attached to, uh, to these debates. But uh, obviously there are lots of safeguards that need to be attached to any nuclear consideration. There are fair questions about whether the market economics will all stack up over the longer term and, uh, and we need to make sure that we, um, if we are removing um, prohibitions nuclear technologies, that we do so in ways that still back market-based outcomes to give the most cost-effective and secure uh, outcomes for our energy markets uh, moving forward. Uh, and these are all, I think, important considerations of the policy work that we're going through, along with the fact that uh, if this is to be contemplated, then it needs to be clear to the electorate that it's happening because of a genuine commitment to uh, the pursuit of net zero by 2050 or sooner if possible uh, and how uh, this will help to achieve that in a way that helps the Australian um, 
climate change policy and energy and economic circumstances on that journey. So you'd be in favour in principle? Uh, I, way back in my first speech, uh, was, uh, was clear that I thought nuclear technology should be on the table with how we tackle some of the challenges uh, of our time. Uh, now, much has happened in the intervening 16 years. Uh, the affordability uh, and growth of renewable energies has changed dramatically and changed the energy landscape dramatically in that time. Uh, but I don't think it makes sense uh, for us per se to just have um, a ban on nuclear technologies, as has been sitting in the statute books for a number of years. Uh, I think we ought to consider their possibility uh, to contribute to a lower emissions future, to a net zero pathway, um, alongside the economic and other parameters. And, uh, and in that, I would note that the comments I've made are probably very similar to the Labor Premier uh, of South Australia, Peter Malinowskis, in, uh, insofar as saying that blinkered ideological opposition uh, to nuclear technologies makes no sense if you're serious about considering all of the options. But of course, nor does any type of blinkered ideological obsession or commitment to nuclear technologies make any sense. And we should let these things be considered on the merits of how it can help achieve net zero, how it can contribute to our energy markets and how the economics stack up. Well, it'll be an interesting debate uh, in the party as you formulate a policy. Now, you're the most senior moderate in the parliamentary party. How do you see your responsibility in that role? I see uh, a responsibility that, uh, uh, that at a time of having moved into opposition, it is a, uh, a chance for the party to reflect on the lessons of uh, electoral loss, as we discussed before, um, uh, to the topics such as climate change that we canvassed. Uh, I think uh, there is also need for us to consider how we might build longer term broad policy consensus, not on every detail, but at least broad policy consensus about how the country charts towards net zero, because you know, that's what enables us to make long-term sensible policy commitments in national security, to maintain uh, a strong social safety net for the country. Uh, and the path to net zero involves decades ahead, uh, many changes of government likely in those decades. And so far as we can provide for greater policy consistency, I think that would be for uh, the good of our country, our economic management and circumstances, business investment and certainty uh, and the like. So there are issues that I think we need to carefully consider. I want to make sure, as I said before, and I wrote in that piece this week, that the party is able to connect as successfully as possible with uh, modern Australia that looks different from the Menzies or the Howard era, uh, and that we have to make sure that, uh, that we have uh, the policies true to liberal values, but also then the communication strategies and engagement strategies uh, to underpin those policies. Your colleague, uh, moderate backbencher Bridget Archer, is saying that the Liberal Party is at a crossroad. Do you agree with that? Of, I mean, I, I can remember I've somewhere got an old copy of former Senator Christopher Puplick's book that was titled, Is the Party Over? Uh, and I'm sure you would remember uh, that time, Michelle. And of course, it turned out that book was published not all that long before the election of the Howard government and what proved to be quite a long reign in government. So um, I think that 
predictions of the demise of political parties of these you know, big critical points have come along and they've come along for the Labor Party too uh, in recent decades when they've been out of office in, uh, in virtually uh, every state, territory and nationally. So uh, we, uh, we shouldn't overreact uh, to our current circumstances, but we should honestly face up to um, where we have been losing votes, where the electoral demographics are changing uh, and how we make sure that we win over engagement from those voters, true to our Liberal values, but in ways that better reflect and appeal to them. More generally, is it possible that Bridget Archer is more in touch with mainstream younger Australians than many of her senior colleagues? Um, I, uh, I love Bridget. She's a friend and I respect her contribution enormously, even when we do disagree. And Bridget and I will disagree sometimes, just as um, Peter and I will disagree sometimes and, uh, and others do, and that is... Um, factions within factions. No, uh, it is. Uh, we are a party of individuals, and so it doesn't mean that anybody uh, always agrees. And it's why people who try to line up everybody within the Liberal Party according to factional equations often get it wrong, because there are many people who bring individual perspectives to uh, to different issues. But uh, Bridget's a very effective uh, campaigner in a highly marginal seat. Uh, she held Bass, which is something that no Liberal has done uh, in terms of getting re-elected in that seat for a long time. She deserves great credit for doing so, and she is worth listening to on a number of issues, and, uh, and I certainly do so. She's also going to campaign, of course, on the yes side for The Voice. Simon Birmingham, thank you very much for talking with us today. That's all from today's Politics Podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back with you soon with another interview, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.